0: Thanks for listening to the weekly Overflow Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Jesse Cup. For more information, visit overflowindy.com or visit us on Facebook at Overflow Indy. I want you guys, if you brought a Bible, and by the way, this is a church and we believe in the Bible... Hope you're reading that thing. It's a good idea to bring it to the church. I know some of you have your Bible on your phone. I do too. And we're going we're to read out of Luke chapter 15, and I'm going to start with verse 11. And what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the whole passage, and then I'm going to go back and start diving into it, okay? All righty. This is the parable of the prodigal son. Here we go. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. The Lord is bringing (laughs) theme music to this. All right. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me, which basically he's talking about his inheritance, right? He's like, you know, you're supposed to get inheritance after the parent dies. He's like, I want to go ahead and have my inheritance now. Tell, that, that'll tell you what I think of you, huh? So he wanted his inheritance while his dad was still alive. Give me, the, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so he divided it to him, to them, his livelihood. Wow, his dad actually did it. That's interesting. And not many days after... The younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, got as far away from his family as he could, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living, okay? He squandered all the wealth that was given to him with prodigal living. And the word prodigal means to spend money or your resources freely and recklessly, and and it's wasteful and squanderous, okay? So it's wasting everything that's given to you for purposeless living, all right? And not many, sorry, I just read that. Verse 14, but when he had spent all, there arose, everybody say, when he spent all. all. That means he's got nothing left, okay? There arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. So he, he was living the life, he was having fun, Enjoying himself, just self-indulgence, whatever I want. I got, I got the money to do all I want, and it's almost like the sky is the limit. Let me feast on life and indulgence. I got everything I need. Oh, until I don't anymore. Until it all runs out. Okay. And not only did it run out, but famine came, so it just put the pressure and the hurts on things all the more. Now he's in a desperate situation. Okay. All right, now i got to find my verse again. Thank you. See, somebody brought his Bible. Good job. All right, verse 15 now. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. So he went from being a a wealthy son to a squanderous party, self-indulgent lifestyle, to having nothing. Now he's desperate, and he's got to get the lowest of the low jobs just to survive, okay? And it says he would rather he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. So so he's so poor now. He's got the lowest of the low kind of jobs, and he 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 who used to know lavish living now has absolutely nothing. And he's so in the bottom of the pit that he wants to eat with the pigs. It's crazy. All right. But then it even says and no one gave him anything. So now it's even worse. Like. He can't even just eat with the pigs. He can have nothing. That's quite the shift of life, don't you think? But when he came to himself, that means he woke up and, and saw reality for what it was. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I want to just stop there, and I want you to say, see this word, bread enough. The, the word... For enough actually doesn't just mean enough. It actually means lavish and overabundance. Okay? He's remembering where he came from, the home that his dad had. He had servants, and it wasn't even the family, it was the servants were enjoying the bounty of the wealth of the father so much that they had more than enough food. All right. They had they had bread and food, not just enough. It's lavish. It's overabundance of food. And it says, and they had enough to spare. Okay, so here he is. And he's remembering not just his brothers and if he had any other siblings and, and the lavishness of sons. He's thinking about the servants had more than enough. They had enough that was overflowing until they could share it with the people around them. That's called bounty. Amen. Bounty in the house. Everybody say, bounty in the house. All right? But here he is wallowing around with pigs, hoping to find a bite to eat of pig mash. All right? He says, says, here I am perishing with hunger. So he's remembering where he came from. He's not even just thinking about coming from his house as a son. He's just thinking about the servants and how much greater they had it than himself. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth, or against heaven and before you. Everybody say this. Father, father I, I sinned. All right. And, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Everybody say, I'm not worthy to be your son. I'm not be your son. Everybody say this. Unworthiness. Okay? Make me like one of your hired servants. everybody say hired servants. Hired servants. All right so here, here the son is, is living with the pigs. he's reassessing his life and he's, he's realizing that, uh, that he has nothing but even the servants have lavish amount of life, all right? overflowing. <clears throat> he, he comes to his mind. he's realizing now because he was living prodigal, Party, self-indulgence, life, but now he's like, "This is not good." He has this revelation. This is not good anymore. If I could get back to my father's house, just as a servant, I'm not even going to position myself as a son. I'm just wanting to come back as a servant, and I want to just ask you to forgive me for what I did. I sinned against you. I sinned against God, and here I am. So I want you to come. I want you to take me as a servant. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. All right? That is, that, that's a humbled heart, okay? A humbled heart. All right? <clears throat> he arose, verse 20, he arose and came to his father. Check this out. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion It doesn't say his father saw him and was ashamed of him. It doesn't say his father knew everything that's stupid that he did, and, he, and he's upset with him for his bad decisions. That he squandered the wealth that was given to him that he didn't even deserve yet, okay? It doesn't say any of that. It says his father saw him, and he had compassion, and he ran to him. He didn't stand there with his arms crossed waiting for him to come and and prostrate himself on the floor before him. He ran to him. He ran probably as fast as he could. And I think that the the first moment that he had any indication that his son had repositioned his heart back towards him was when he ran to meet him in that place. He ran to him, he had compassion, he ran, and he fell on his neck. That means he, he gave him a full neck embrace, all right? And he, and he kissed him. He, he embraced his son, and he kissed him. And then he said, you fool. <laughs> oh, that's, that's not in this version. He didn't say that. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Everybody say, I sinned. sinned. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Do you remember the other part that he rehearsed that he's going to tell his father? He's going to proceed. I'm no longer worthy to be your son, so make me your hired servant. But he got to the part where he said, I sinned. I'm not worthy to be your son. And before he could get that part out that said, make me your servant, his father jumped in before he could finish the sentence, and he said, no. It says, it says the father said to his servants, he interrupted his son before he could get it out, where he wanted to change his position with his father from son to servant. His father interrupted. He didn't allow him to go that far, okay? Okay. He said, no. It says, verse 22, the father said to his servant, he interrupted his son, he's talking to his servant, bring out the best robe. Put it on him. And put a ring on his hand. And sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. Check this out. The son came in repentance. The son came repositioning his idea of what his worth is. I'm not worthy to be your son. I'll take the best I can get in the lowest form. Let me be your servant. And then he says, but before he could say, I want to be your servant, the father says, let me interrupt you for a second. Servant. He didn't say you're my servant. He turned to his servant. And he said, Get me my best robe. Bring me a ring. And let's bring, put sandals on his feet. All right? He did not allow his son to move to the position of shifting from son to servant. <laughs> and then he proceeds. Verse 24, he proceeds after he says, we're going we're to kill a fatted calf and we're going to have a party. He proceeds and he says, for this, my servant has died. No, this my son has died. Thank you, brother. <laughs> he did not say this is my servant. Okay? He said this, my son was dead and is alive again. Come on. My son was dead but he is alive again. Wow. My son died in his sins, but now he has been resurrected to me. My son was dead and is alive. He would not put the word servant on his son. He would only put the word son on his son. And he knew the sins that he was in, but he said he died, but now he comes back to life to me. This is my son, my new living son. Thank you, Lord. He was lost, but now he's found. Come on. How many of you were dead, but now you're alive? Are you his servant or are you his child? Come on. He was lost and is found, but they, and they began to be married. That means they got their party on. <clears throat> Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. And then the brother got excited, and he went and jumped into the party and celebrated with him. <laughs> what, what? Why are you guys laughing? Wait, that's not, that's not what it said? Oh, let me, let me read on. I thought, I thought that's where it was going. I would have assumed, you know, Christian household here. Verse 28, but he was angry, and he wouldn't go in. Therefore, his father came out. Whoa, wait a minute. You mean he's outside rejecting the situation because he's angry about what the father is doing, and his father hears about it, and his father did not leave him out there to pile on his own. He actually went out to his other son, too. Whoa, he went to his other son too. Wow. The critical, judgmental brother, the father went to him as well. That's amazing. Come on. Isn't God good? Therefore the father came out and he pleaded with him. Verse 29. So he answered and said to his father, Daddy dearest, Actually, no, he didn't actually even say anything calling him father, okay? But what he says is, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. Everybody say, serving you. Serving you. I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Everybody say goody two shoes. <laughs> you didn't you didn't say it. <laughs> Goody-two-shoes. Goody and, yet, and yet, you never gave me a young goat. Dad, I've been with you all this time. I've done everything you said. You didn't give me a goat. I want my party. I, I want to have fun, too. All right? He wanted a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. All right? And his dad answered and said, you fool. No, no, he didn't. He didn't say that. Verse 30. But as soon as this son of, as this son of yours who has devoured, this is still the son talking, by the way. I, I got out of turn there. As soon as the son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. So check that out. He actually is sleeping with prostitutes too. You killed the fattened calf for him. Whoa, wait a minute. You mean somebody who came out of a out of a life of adultery and sinful uh, sexual sin is being received and celebrated by a father? Yes, I do mean that. Verse 31. And the father said to him, You fool. No, he didn't. Okay. What did he say? He said, son. He said, son. This son did not refer to him as father, but he did refer to himself as a servant. But he's not saying, servant, you are always with me. He's saying, son, you are always with me. Everybody say, I'm always with him. You are always with me, and all that I have is yours. Wow. All that I have is yours. Everybody say, all that he has, all that he has is, mine is mine. Because I'm a good servant. No, don't say that. That's not what he's saying. He didn't say, servant, you're always with me, all that I have is yours. He said, son, son. All that I have is yours. You are always with me. It was right that we should make merry and be glad and party hard, for your brother was dead. For, for your brother was dead. And now he's alive again. Come on. He didn't say your brother was dead and now he comes back still an ugly sinner. No, he was dead, and now he's alive again. I lost my son. Now I got my son back. Come on. I lost my son. Now I got my son back. Family's coming back together. Son, you've always been with me. Everything I have is yours. It was right that we should make Mary be glad, for your brother was dead and alive again. He was lost. And now he is found. Come on. That's some good stuff. And now I want to unpack it. Could probably just stop there and it would have been good. Parable of the prodigal son. There's four characters. There's four important characters in this story, all right? I'm going to tell you who they are. The prodigal son. And that's the son who, 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 who he wanted to get everything he could out of his dad, and then go live a a selfish, self-led life. Prodigal, spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wasteful and squandering. It's a self-led life, all right? Another character is the jealous brother. The jealous brother, who is also focused on himself. Didn't give a rip about his brother or his dad, about me then the next one this is my favorite one the extravagant father let me tell you that's who this story really is about the extravagant father he's the selfless father he's the merciful father he's the unconditionally loving father he's the lavish father come on then there's the fourth person that this story is about. It's the redeemed son, the redeemed son. Oh, wait a minute. Isn't that the same person as the prodigal son? Well, you might think so, but no, no, the prodigal died, but then he got resurrected, the redeemed son. So he's actually a different person than that other person that was in that body walking around doing all that stuff. That person died, and then he resurrected and lived again, the redeemed son. So there's four people. There's the prodigal son. There's the jealous brother. There's the extravagant father, and then the redeemed son. Come on. It's good stuff, right? The redeemed son is a life from the dead. The redeemed son is a new creation. All the old things passed away. Behold, all things became new. He is not called the prodigal anymore. He's not even referenced as the ex-prodigal. He's just referenced as son. Come on. You could say that this should be called the prodigal of the extravagant father and the orphan hearts. Okay? The orphan hearts. Orphan. Both sons. Even though they... Both had completely different lifestyles. They both actually functioned from an orphan heart. Okay? They both functioned from an orphan spirit. And somebody might want to ask, what is an orphan spirit? Well, it doesn't mean that you didn't actually have a, a physical family that you grew up with. But let me tell you, this is, this is a definition I came up with for it. An orphan spirit. It's the belief of one's identity that lacks a deep, intimate, and healthy connection to a good and loving father. I'm going to reread that part again and then proceed. The orphan spirit is the belief of one's identity that lacks a deep, intimate, and healthy connection to a good and loving father and produces an output of life that is deficient of the security that comes from that type of relationship. I'll say it again. Can somebody repeat everything I just said back to me verbatim? (laughs) An orphan spirit, the belief of one's identity that lacks a deep, intimate, and healthy connection to a good and loving father, it produces an output of life that is deficient of the security that comes from that type of relationship. And I want to be honest. I've functioned in parts of my life as an orphan spirit. There are probably parts of my life that still demonstrates orphan spirit beliefs. But I'll tell you this. I got a lot less of an orphan spirit happening in my life than I used to because the more I learn my father, the more free I get from that thing and the more healthy my heart gets. Yeah. Amen? Amen. And that's the same for you. And the more that you guys come into an understanding of your identity as a child of the Most High God, the more free you're getting. And you're not, whole, you're not fully there yet. And there's grace for you not being fully there yet, but keep moving towards it. Because the gap between where you're at and the full expression of that probably has some orphan spirit beliefs in it. And God's trying to crush the orphan spirit. He's trying to set the captives free. And he's not doing this just so he can have an army full of warriors, although that's a byproduct. He's actually trying to do it so he can have a healthy family in his home. This morning while we were worshiping, I felt the Holy Spirit say this to me, that uh, like we, we want the mystical parts of God and we want the dynamic dunamis power and the miracles and the prophetic encounters and all that stuff <clears throat> and and it can it can feel like like holy and and like other like elevated and sometimes it can freak people out too but what i felt like the lord told me today is that the more we understand the father heart of god the less freaked out that stuff becomes. It demystifies the mystical when you understand that God's trying to actually be a father to his children, and he doesn't want his children to miss out on anything that he has for them. Amen? Oh, I forgot to, tell, I forgot to start this off to tell you, I'm giving you guys keys to the kingdom again today, all right? Yes. Both sons had the orphan spirit. Okay, they were both. Even though their actions and their lifestyles look different, they was actually driven from orphan spirit. They both perceived their father as someone that they need to serve. Now, I don't want you to hear me saying that we don't have hearts to serve God. Hundred percent, we do. But if we if we think that the serving is the is the driving force, we're missing everything. Okay, we serve not for love, but from love. Okay, but they perceive their father as someone to serve because the, the, the prodigal son said, Let me come back, I'm not worthy to be a son, let me just be a servant. Okay, the older brother, the jealous brother, said, Haven't I been serving you right here in your house this whole time? So the approach to the father on both accounts is I need to serve, I need to be a servant. But his response to both of them was, this is my son. Not once did he reference his sons as servants. The other thing about the orphan spirit with these brothers is that neither one of them knew their father intimately. They lived their whole lives with him and didn't even know him as a father. Let me take a few moments and talk about the prodigal son, the younger of the two. He wanted to do his own thing. And he disregarded the family and the father. So he he just just wanted to do his thing. He got what he wanted, and then he went on his way. I think there's a lot of people who show up just to get what they want, and once they got it, you, you, don't, you can't depend on them anymore, right? Pe- people want to get their thing and then live the life the way that they want to live it. All right? And uh, he, he went on his way. He did. He got what he wanted. He went on his way. He didn't seek any counsel from anyone. He just did his own thing. All right? The Amen. The multitude of counselors... Brings safety. That's right. All right. And um, I, I was just thinking about me, like in my life, uh, especially in my in my younger parts of my journey with the Lord. I I recall different times when I would spend a season in different churches or different places, and I, I had my had my life dreams in my mind, and so I wanted to position myself in ways that I I could be with the people who are going to help put things into me that are going to make my life better for the thing that I want to do. And that's not actually bad in and of itself. But even at Bethel, I was there for nine years, and after I'd been there for a few years, I I stopped and I assessed myself, and I realized that everything that i have been doing at Bethel was I was getting involved in the healing rooms. Why? So that I can experience the gift of healing and grow in that. That's awesome. That's not a bad thing. All right? I started connecting with, with prophetic ministry stuff so I could grow in the prophetic and make me a better man. And, and I, I did the school of ministry to grow me and my experience with the Lord. That's, a, that's good stuff. But there came a point when the Lord started touching my heart and he said, Jesse, you've had all these years here and everything you've been doing has been focused on you and what you're getting out of this so that you can put yourself in the place that you want to get to. And you call this place your family, but yet you're, trying to, you're positioning yourself just to receive and to get and to grow you, but it's all about you and your future. And and he started helping me to realize, like a lot of people that are around me that are growing in, in relationship with spiritual fathers and mothers in the place. I started realizing different people who started actually embracing the mission and the heart that God had put in the family that I called myself part of, that they actually chose to serve That vision, that mission, put themselves into it to be family, you actually need to put your heart into something and contribute to it as well. We receive, yes, and we need to keep growing, but but as a family, we gotta we gotta put skin in the game, we gotta be a part of it. I wanna be a part of what you got going on too. I wanna put myself into you to help you grow towards the things of God as well. There's an inter exchange, okay? And I just, I just started realizing that, that there's parts of me that's probably functioning from orphan because it was all about me and growing me so I can become this person that I want to become. And the Lord's like, now it's time to shift it. Why don't you start investing that stuff back in? I eventually became a revival group pastor at Bethel. The Lord has shifted my focus, and I started realizing I need to sew back into what God's building here. I need to embrace Bill Johnson's vision, and I need to put myself into it so I can make them succeed. Because I call myself a son. And as a son, I want to put back into the family. Some good stuff right there. By the way, I didn't plan on saying that. That was the Holy Spirit. Okay? But he started showing me that. And I started realizing if I'm going to call it my family, I want to invest myself. I I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of something bigger than me. I want to sow me into this. I'm going to grow. I will continue to grow. And the Lord will grow me towards everything he has for me. But if I do it as a family... It's going to go somewhere that's going to be a lot more pleasing to a father who loves a family. Those are some good words right there. <laughs> it's amazing. Prodigal son. He, he, the prodigal son was disconnected at the heart with the people around him. You can show up to church and be involved and still be completely disconnected with the family. All right, disconnected at the heart from, with the people around him. He was independent, not a team player. He had no family value. He just had let-me-do-my-thing value. All right, Some people are more focused on what they can get out of God or his people than how they can be connect- connected and contribute. For whatever reason, the prodigal son decided to give up on his family. Don't know why. There could be lots of reasons. And then after he gave up on his family, he enjoyed life for a season. And I mean, he enjoyed it to the full. He enjoyed it so much that he probably never even gave a thought about what he left behind. I want this thing right here, and I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm far removed from it. I want this. Feed me. (laughs) Fill me. Indulge me right? And so he lived for the moment. And and there's a lot of people in this world who are currently living from in that stage of life, all right? There's a lot of people who have left the church because they didn't feel at home with the church. And so they've run away and they're living lives that are worldly because that feels good for the moment, all right? At least the world will make them feel surrounded where home didn't. All right? But he ended up with nothing to show for it. He ran out of resource by disconnecting from the source. Yeah, that sounded like a good one-liner, didn't it? (laughs) Say it again. He ran out of resource by disconnecting from the source. All right? He he got his lavish, abundant inheritance, but then he took it and managed it by himself, and eventually he realized it had limits on it that drained completely out. But had he stayed at home where the source is, there would have never been an ending supply because it never runs dry at home. So what felt like a nice provision that he could live his life on, it had its time limit. Even though it felt like it didn't, it did. It ran out. He got disconnected from the source. So then he suddenly became desperate. And so even right now in this world, there's a lot of people who are getting to that stage where they're realizing that all the things that they were turning to was going to make them feel good for the moment, and now all of a sudden everything's depleting and they're realizing they have nothing to show for themselves and they're in a desperate situation. Okay? Now we need to pray for the prodigals to wake up in their sins and to come to their senses of all the things that God has for them. Amen? There's a lot of people who have become so disconnected from the family that they've hardened their hearts to where they're they're rewriting their idea of who God is and getting false beliefs of who God is and false beliefs of the church, false beliefs of their identity, and false beliefs of what's okay and what's not. And it can feel like it's beyond our reach that their hearts are so hardened. Guess what? God can still wake them up. And we need to be praying for that. We need to be interceding because there have been the masses who have left Christianity just in the last two years. I mean, in the droves. It's crazy. I've seen my own peers who used to be the most radical, fiery Christians at Bethel who left there, and then they started going. They started numbing their hearts, and then they started re, like questioning all this stuff. And the world has plenty of, of mind renewal to give anybody who's not on guard. And people have actually said, "I no longer consider myself a Christian anymore." It breaks my heart. Like seriously, I one one of my friends. Who who is one of the most wild ones at Bethel that in my, in my group I was involved with, um, had moved away several years ago, and I don't know what all happened, but her heart got hardened, and she posted on Facebook, kind of coming out of the closet, not not with, with uh, her sexuality, but with where she's at. She said, I just wanted to say, and I'm sorry if this is going to hurt some of you, but I've decided to leave Christianity. Wow. And my heart, went heavy for like five days in grief for that person. So we need to pray, and we need to pray for a great awakening. I don't mean great awakening like the history books say. I mean a great awakening where, where hearts literally wake up and see the condition people are in and, and remember where home is. Come on. And people might not have even had a good experience of a home, like a spiritual home. But we need to pray that God will awaken people to what they always thought that should have been. Because God puts truth in people's hearts about what it should be. And then they get confused when they look around and they don't see that. And it doesn't register, right? God's trying to reform this thing in the right way. He's trying to build his church in a healthy way as a, as a beautiful, spotless bride to create a home that people are going to actually be loved in well. That's what I hope we're becoming. Anybody want that with me? Yes. So we need to pray for a great awakening so that people will come back home, amen? And I don't just mean overflow, but in general, and, and even people's literal families, we need to see the prodigals come back home. When the the prodigal son repented, he believed that he was an unworthy son and he chose instead to be a servant because he thought that was the only way he's going to get back into his father's house. So he he didn't, he was was lacking sonship, all right? So that's the prodigal. Let's talk about the jealous brother. Jealous brother. He was self-righteous. He thought, I've done all these great things. I've I've been here with you. I've served you. I never even broke your commandments. I'm great. You should look at my life and and the, the way I've been living, and that should get me favor in your eyes. Okay? He also dealt with jealousy. Why should my brother be celebrated more than I am? I'll bet nobody's ever felt these things before, except me. (laughs) He dealt with comparison. Uh, By the way, these are are traits of the orphan spirit, all right? Self-righteousness, orphan spirit. Jealousy, that's an orphan spirit. Comparison, orphan spirit. I'm better, and he's worse. I'm better, and he's worse. Sometimes it gets flipped. He's better, and I'm worse. But let me compare myself with someone around me so I can see how well I'm doing according to someone else around me. All right? Comparison. Critical. Look at his flaws. Look at those flaws on him. A while ago, the Lord reminded me of something. This is a pretty f- funny Cool, and humiliating experience I had. This was back at Bethel. I was I was a pastor at the time there, and one of the other campuses, not the main campus, called Twinview Campus. I think there's about they probably have about three to four hundred people just in that one, okay, and and that's the smaller one. <laughs> so th- there's this one. All right, there's this brother and sister that are probably in their mid-20s that would show up, and I thought they were some of the weirdest people ever. For example, (laughs) the guy always wore a black trench coat that goes down to his knees and this weird Sherlock Holmes hat, all right? And I'm talking like in the middle of the summer even when it's 115 degrees, and, and, and they would always go to the front. People, by the way, people there like to actually go to the front and worship the Lord and <laughs> give their all to it. I know. It's kind of crazy, right? I'd do that, too. Right there. <laughs> but anyway, so he would do that, and they'd always go to the front. And then his sister, um, she, she would dance during the worship, and she'd be like, she'd be like doing this stuff. And it's so distracting. Could you imagine? So, and they're in the front. And I was, stand, I was sitting there in the seat. I was on the, on the left section a few rows back by the aisle. And I'm worshiping, you know, like this. And I'm still, and I'm just I'm connecting with God. But I, every once in a while, I'm open my eyes, and I see them over there. <laughs> While I'm having my moment. And as usual, I'm thinking, man, those guys are weird. (laughs) And they're distracting. And in that moment, the Lord opened my eyes in the spirit. And I saw Jesus standing in front of them. And he was dancing with them. Right in front of them. He was, he was right there dancing. He was having a, he was, and he was more into what they were doing than anything else in the room. And then I saw myself standing there like this, and Jesus came and stood in front of me. He's like. <laughs> and I was like, are you having a good time with me right now? Because you look like you're having a lot of fun over there. Yeah. And then I saw him again dancing with them and he was having a great time. He was loving, even though it was weird and awkward. And by the way, like we don't want to try to be distractions to everybody. So there's something real on that. However, you got to look deeper. All right. Got to look deeper and know that God is loving people in the way that they're presenting themselves freely to him. Okay. And so the Lord was just showing me how critical I was. And after that, I was like, man, I need Jesus to be connecting with me like that. And I started getting into it too. I think I even went to the front and started letting it loose. Because I wanted, I didn't want to miss out on this thing with Jesus. Amen? So, but the Lord showed me that I was being critical. Look at their flaws. Look how weird they are. Look at that. They're being distracting. Guess what? God wants to bring people into our environment who might look weird sometimes but he wants to love them right where they're at you guys hearing me yes. so and then the jealous brother another another trait of his orphan spirit was entitlement i deserve something for all that i've done i've served you all this time i deserve something that your brother that you gave to my brother that he didn't deserve Entitlement, right? Another, another trait is poverty mentality. There's not enough for me. There's not enough for me. Then there's selfish. I don't feel celebrated, so I'm not going to celebrate him. That's, that's good of you. Thank you. Good heart there, buddy. You're a good, You're a good religious brother. All right, then the next person is the extravagant father. This is who the story's really about, okay? He generously gave both of their sons their inheritance, their full inheritance, before its time. That's crazy. So generous, so lavish. And it was wealth, guys. If his servants had so much that there was a bounty and they could share it with other people, imagine what he had for his own family. Okay, And so here, here's the father's demonstration of his heart, his personality, towards his prodigal son. He, he's, he's First of all, this is one of our core values here but, uh, from Bethel, but here overflow. It's called free and responsible. It's actually a demonstration of love to give somebody the permission to be free, but you're going to have to be responsible with your freedom. And so his, it was actually an act of love to allow his son to go and do all that stuff, and do whatever was in his heart. He released him to do what he wanted to do. He gave him permission to abandon him, his family, because love is not really love unless there's a choice to not love, all right? I want to I empower you and give you the permission to make your own choice and what you're going to do here. I sure hope you're going to press into the family, but I want to love you and I want you to experience love and freedom. You get to choose. And I'm going to love you despite what you do. There's great risk in love, but that's the only way to know if your heart is really in it or not. Okay? You guys all right? The son planned his repentance and the father ran to his son from far away. All that the father needed Was to see that his son had turned his heart back to him. Didn't matter where he was. Didn't matter what junk he was in the middle of. All that mattered was he turned his heart back to him and his father was there. That's amazing. He didn't chase him down before this either. Okay? He waited till his son chose because there's the power to choose, there's free and responsible. I want to wait till you choose me and then I'm going to be there in the nick of a moment. That quick. I'm going to be there. He, didn't, he did not chase him down for a lack of love, but because he honored his freedom. Okay? The father did not allow the son to complete his planned punishment. I repent. I'm not worthy to be your son. I'm going to come. I'm going to be your servant. The father's like, no. He, he, he repents. I sinned. I'm not worthy to be your son. Wait. Don't let him say the next part. Get him the robes. Okay? He lavished him before he could even say that he'd be a servant instead of a son. Then to to his jealous brother, the older brother, who said to him, You never gave me a young goat so we could celebrate. And his father says, Servant. Nobody corrected me that time. He didn't say that. He said, son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. So his brother is saying, give me this thing that I don't already have so I can do this thing that I'm not able to do. And he's saying, actually, you're my son, and this was always with you, and you could have always done that. But he missed it because he was trying to be a servant instead of a son. He had it available all the time. The father always wanted him to be the celebrated son, but he missed it because he was trying to live his life through performance instead of sonship. The older brother thought it was a reward for serving and not sinning, but to the father, the reward is not being a son and being close. I want to say that again and let it land, all right? The older brother thought it was a reward for serving and not sinning. To the father, the reward is in being his son and being close. Wow. You remember what I talked about last week when God declared over Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He declared his sonship, he declared his absolute love, and he declared his pleasure in his son, and as before his son ever performed anything in his ministry for the father. It's about sonship, not performance. Come on, these are the keys of the kingdom, guys. He could have been functioning as a son the whole time and living a life of celebration. He's missing out on his father while living with him. Wow. Living in the house and not even knowing he's got a father right there to love on him and to celebrate him that whole time. Come on. We need to be praying for an awakening of the religious hearts too, not just the prodigal hearts. Of the religious hearts, to come out of self righteousness and to come out of self striving and performance, and to come into sonship. Come on. And by the way, the religious are not just the pious, judgmental ones. Okay, that's religious too. You know, the ones that we want to call Pharisee, Pharisaical spirits. Yes, but not just them. It's everyone who's trying to find their own way to God through righteous living on your own strength. Those who find their identity in their service or in their ministries, by any chance, find their identity in their performance, their accomplishments, and in their sin measurement, You guys hearing me? That's religion. That's orphan spirit thinking. All right? The manifestation of the brother's orphan spirit was different based on their self view, but the solution to their problem was the same sonship. Sonship. I'm going to take a moment to talk to you about the fourth person, all right? I just told you about the prodigal son. I told you about the jealous brother. I told you about the extravagant father. But now I've got to tell you about the redeemed son. The redeemed son. Because the redeemed son had transformation. He was no longer the one that he used to be. Okay? His identity got restored to him. The father brought a robe to him. And I want to tell you... He said, "He said, bring the best robe. Who do you think owns the best robe? The father. the father. So he actually wanted them to go retrieve his own best robe that he had, the one that when he'd go into the town, everybody knew who he was, and he wanted to put his robe on his son. You know that guy that just came from dirty sin." Let me cover you. Let me put my covering on you so that anybody who sees you is going to see me all over you. I don't care about that stuff that, you, that shamed you. Let me cover you. All right? So he put covering on him. And what comes with the covering? Royalty. Royalty. He put his royal robe on on his son, so he could establish him as royalty. Come on. Not as servant, not as prodigal, royal son. Come on, that's good stuff right there, guys. By the way, your father puts his best robe on you. He covers you, and he puts royalty on you. Anybody thankful? He also had his servant bring his ring, put it on his hand, his ring. Why why his ring? It's a signet ring, and it's got a special symbol on it that's only for his family's name, and that that ring bears the authority and the identity of the family. And so now everywhere he goes, when they see the robe and they see the ring, they're going to know whose family that dude's from. And they're going to know what kind of authority he carries. So all the servants that he wanted to go be like them, the the father actually is elevating him back into his sonship. And he says, you're not going to be a servant. I'm going to put my authority on you. And people are going to know that you carry my name, my authority, and you can walk in that everywhere you go. And so all the business and the affairs that the father had in the city or wherever in the land, he actually put his name on his son and he said, the authority that I have in this situation, I give to you now. Boom. So he's restoring him to what sonship should have looked like the whole time. And then the sandals, only slaves would be the ones who put sandals on, slaves At that time, probably didn't actually wear sandals. So it's just another mark that says, that's not who you are to me. You're my son. I want you to walk in who you are. Come on. Isn't that awesome? And then after he restores identity and sonship, it's not just that. He celebrates them. They invite everybody, and they have a big party. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. Let's tell everybody about my son. Come on. Isn't that good stuff? Ultimate ROI, restoration of identity. Come on. Yes. Yes. In John chapter 1, I'm about to close. In John chapter 1, it's a great chapter. I recommend it. Go read it one day. All right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All that. But then you read all through that beautiful, bliss, powerful stuff. You get to verse 12. And it says, But as many as received him, received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Read that one more time. But as many as received him, how many of you received him? Yes, you have. Okay. And how many of you believe in his name? So this is talking to you. Okay. You're already born again, right? You already have salvation. Okay. And so you've known that. But it says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. That tells me something. That tells me that there can be Christians who are already saved who have not become children of God. What? Really? But I thought we were born again. Oh, you were. You were. And by the way, you actually, to God, you actually are a beloved child. But the problem might be that you might not understand your sonship in God. And so he's given you the right or the power to become children of the most high God. To him, it's already who you are, but to us, it needs to get unlocked. And so he's actually releasing the power into us that we can step into sonship and we can get ourselves positioned in a place where I can actually function what it really would look like to be a child of the most high God. Because most Christians don't have the first clue about what that is. He wants to release to you the power to enter into your adoption in him, to be a son of the Most High God, a daughter of the Most High God. Hallelujah. And and this is where I'm going to close it before I'm going to pray over you guys. In Romans 6, I've been preaching this for the last few weeks, that we need to reckon ourselves as dead to sin and alive to God. I need to reckon myself. That means I need to choose to believe about myself something that might not have been in my mind before. I need to shift my belief system and make myself believe something that God says is true that I might not be feeling in the moment. I'm going to harness my thoughts. I'm going to harness my belief systems. I'm going to hone it in. I'm going to reckon myself to be something that I might not be feeling in the moment. I reckon myself that I've died to these sins. I reckon myself that I've become resurrected in Christ. I'm alive in God. So he said, it goes from saying, reckon yourself to present yourself. I preached on this the last couple of weeks. Present yourself to God as alive from the dead. It says that. So you gotta, you got to reckon yourself, and then you got to present yourself. you you got to reckon yourself, harness your self-beliefs, that's reckon yourself, and then present yourself. That means put yourself in it, stand in it, stand in it, and walk in it, embrace yourself in it, and live like it's true. Present yourself. All right? And so now, as I close, sonship, you're children of God, you might be functioning from orphan spirits in different ways, but the Lord wants to break everything that causes you to believe less about yourself than who he knows you to be. And you have to choose to reckon yourself. I'm a child of the Most High God. i got the spirit of adoption. I've got the spirit of sonship. I'm a child of the Most High God. I need to reckon myself that I am his royal son. I've got his robe. He covers me. He puts royalty on me. He restores me of all the junk that I've done. And he says, "Nope, that's not who you are. This is who you are. My beloved son, I'm covering you. I'm putting royalty on you. I put my ring on you. I put my name on you. Carry my name, that's your name now. Come on, that's amazing. But we got to reckon ourselves and then we got to present ourselves because it's going to change the way you believe, it's going to change the way you live and carry yourself. Amen? Amen. Come on, why don't you guys stand up? Is anybody encouraged? (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. All right. <coughs> Thank you, Lord. All right, Lord, you have given us the spirit of adoption. God, you you have chosen us, Lord. God, you, you loved your, the sons that's in that story, Lord, from the very beginning. It was not you who was lacking in the love for them it was them lacking in their able their ability to receive it as sons instead of as servants and i pray right now lord for all of us if there's any place in our life any beliefs that we carry that are orphan thoughts orphan thoughts i want to redef- i want to define that all over again real fast the belief of one's identity that lacks a deep, intimate, healthy connection to a good and loving father and produces an output of life that is deficient of the security that comes from that type of relationship. Lord, help us to discover how deep and intimate and healthy your love is towards us, that we can receive that. We don't earn it, Lord. We get it, not, not by good lives, but by receiving your lavish love for us that you already have as a father. Why don't you guys repeat a couple of things after me. Father, father. You're, my you're my dad. I'm your son or daughter. Say which one's right for you, please. <laughs> I receive that. I've functioned as a prodigal before. I've functioned as as the jealous brother before. But I want to function as the redeemed child. I I reckon myself as your royal child, child. fully received, fully loved, loved. Fully fully embraced, fully covered. Fully empowered with royalty. royalty. You're my father. father. I'm your child. child. Show me who I am to you. Show me me your radical love for me. me me. And change my life. life. Find any place in me that functions functions from the orphan spirit spirit. and and crush it and restore me. I want to live whole and free. free. In Jesus' name, name. amen. Amen. Awesome. Why don't you guys give God a hand? (laughs) And give each other a hand for being royal children of God. Come on. It's awesome. All right. I'm going to have Seth come up here to close us out. Bless you guys. Wasn't that a good word, y'all? Give Jesse a hand. That was awesome. Man. Wow. (laughs) Sons and daughters of living God blows your minds, eh? (laughs) I just want to pray a blessing over you all. So, Lord, I just pray right now that we would let the revelation that we are sons and daughters of yours just sink deep into us this week, Lord. I pray right now that every heart would begin to unlock Even around the world, Lord, that we would see minds renewed and hearts renewed in brand new ways. That doubt would be removed. That we would never second guess for a moment whose we are. So I bless each and every one here that that revelation would sink to a new level. In Jesus' name.